Hey everyone, it's me, Cody, and I'm joined with my friend, Matt. Now, we've been friends for several years uh, on the internet, um, but he came to me with this really great idea for a podcast that we were going, he wanted to start, and um, I think it's a great idea. He's going to explain a little bit more about what we're going to be doing going forward. Oh, hey everybody, I'm Matt, and like Cody said, we've been friends for a couple of years, well, several years actually. Thank you, Twitter, for bringing us all together. And so I had this great idea um, for a podcast because I like I think true crime is fascinating and also unsolved crime. But what I noticed there wasn't ever a focus on or talked about was LGBT crime and what happens to our community. Largely, it's pushed off, ignored, or especially when you have um, like what we're going to be focusing on the podcast is cold crime, cold case, 30, 20, 30, 40 year old cases where. Um, people have largely kind of forgotten about it or it's not even talked about in the news anymore. My hope is that we could uh, shine a light on these places. And by doing that, I had this great idea to work with Cody on this because this is kind of his specialty. And uh, I love history and how people and things work, which is my specialty. So we decided to collaborate on this. And that is how the Coma podcast was born. Also, Cody and Matthew, it's how we got the name. So... What we're going to be discussing is, in this first episode, for example, is Marsha P. Johnson. Um, she's a very well-known uh, civil rights activist, a, a woman of color. Um, and so we wanted to talk about her life, death, and legacy, and where it is today. And also that it's an unsolved crime, which is why um, we also want to focus on it as well. But we're hoping that we can also teach people some LGBT history and get people talking again and bring some attention to these names and these people, uh, each episode that we bring out for everybody. So I'm really excited about this because, um, we're going to get to talk about, um, some people that I may know of or that you as an audience may know of or others that we have no idea who they are, but we're going to get to learn about them, their story, their history. Um, and some of them, and for most of them, how they changed, the lives of those uh, people around them. So we'll hear about Marsha P. Johnson coming up next. Podcasting from the Lone Star State in Southern California, you're listening to the Coma Podcast with Cody and Matt. And we're back. So today we're going to be talking about Marsha P. Johnson, as Matt said. She had a really interesting life and the things that she did and the things that she did for her community, not just in New York, but for the whole LGBT community as a whole and how she really like started the movement um, going forward for a lot of change uh, that has happened. And of course, we'll be talking about, as Matt said, some of the mystery surrounding her death and what some people believe happened. But I think let's just start with like her life in New York. She was an African-American trans woman living during that time. And for a lot of that time, she, she le lived homeless, lived on the streets. And, and she did that for several decades. But through all that time, there were a lot of people in the community who just loved her. People were drawn to her and to her, her spirit of what she put out in the world. I agree. And it started from a young age. Um, she was born in 1945. So even the time that she came into this world, being gay or not straight was definitely not something that was going to be generally accepted or celebrated 
especially publicly, let alone whatever your family might think. So after she graduated high school and then moved to New York, she did what many of us dream of doing as children. You know, we're going to go make it. She grabbed her backpack, $15, and moved to the city and came out after after meeting other gay people. And that's when she decided she was going to live her best life as as gay and and that's what she did and she did it loud and proud she did i mean if you look at some of the pictures and some of the video that it that is available and there there actually is quite a bit of video and audio and pictures available uh, of that period of time and of marcia and she really lived her life proud and loud she had some great outfits lots of sequins and lots of glitter and furs and all kinds of things, but she did. She lived her life, who she was, and didn't worry about what others thought of it. You know, she really um, was someone who was like, this is who I am, and just you're just going to have to accept me. But she didn't only just leave it at that. She used her power and used the kind of knowledge that she had gained from living on the streets and having some some suffering you know, being homeless, to help others, you know. She didn't want others to go through what she she had gone through, some of the earlier struggles on in her life. That's correct. And she worked also as a sex worker, which, you know, we'll talk about a little in a little bit where we talked about some of her um, other work. But her just, you know, she did so much. And it's really hard to, it's, you can't really categorize Marsha, you know, when we talk about different things that she did, because her work all just seems to just mesh into every part of her. It wasn't just like she did drag on the weekends and that was a segment of her life. It was her life just as being Marsha was just as she was Marsha. She did drag. Now it should be noted. I think that um, her drag was not, not in the sense of something we would see on RuPaul's drag race. You know, she did not do, you know, show drag or, you know, like high drag. I'm putting that in quotes. Uh, she really focused on comedy and political statements and she was not, she made her points. That's for sure. Um, because, you know, again, now at this point we're looking, this is the seventies. So this is seventies, New York. So living in 1970s, New York as an out and about, uh, drag woman of color. And we say trans, but trans was not used in the sense that we use it today in the same uh, sense because language does evolve it was it was used more loosely i believe would you agree cody yeah i i i think so and that's one of the things as you look at and research um and listen to some of the audio tapes and videotapes of marcia johnson and her friend uh sylvia rivera who we'll mention in a little bit was that trans was used very loosely because marcia johnson and sylvia both at times uh, would dress as women, would dress as men. Um, it was very fluid. And, a l and later on, especially in Sylvia Rivera's case, you know, she talked about how she was more fluid uh, in gender. So you know, at that time, there was not all these different phrases or words or meanings to things to describe what you were feeling inside. So you know, we only had like a few words back then, and that's you know, kind of what was assigned to them. So if they, they were still alive today or, and Marsha was still alive today, you know, we may have better insight to what she was feeling personally inside. But, um, you know, I think she was just she was just someone who was 
going to be herself and didn't worry about, you know, the labels that people put on others. I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And, um, Marsha was one of the first, um, I would say, you know, LGBTQ icons that I learned about, you know, many years ago. And, um, you know, as I tried to start educating myself about, uh, the history of the community and Marsha's name, of course, kept popping up. And as I started learning about her, you know, even in the early, my early, I guess you'd say my early gay career, <laughs> learning, when you're learning about masculine and feminine don't really matter. You can just be you. And if you happen to be one more or both, then it's whatever. And I think Marsha really embodied that. Um, she, you know, she modeled for Andy Warhol. I was going to say, just <laughs> she, she knew a lot of people in New York. Like if you were in New York and you were kind of in the nightlife, nightlife scene, you knew who, um, Marsha Johnson was because she she was a star really she was a star in her own right that effected change. I would agree with that, and she also per- she did perform um, for uh, drive troops and with them, and but she always seemed to come back to uh, I don't want to say come back to the streets, but more so come back to like the grassroots uh, political movements because she wasn't silent about it. Um, and of course, we all know about Stonewall. Now Johnson herself has said that she herself wasn't at the initial Stonewall uprising. I mean, I've heard the rumors too, that she threw the first brick initially. And that's not, that's controversial. Um, it's more so per, you know, for example, per, uh, her Wikipedia page, there's a statement that says Johnson heard of it, went and got her friend Sylvia. And then they came back and then came and joined, uh, the pushback. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the more important thing to take away from the, the Stonewall conversation, is that whatever happened from that initial thing, she and Sylvia, her friend, and others really took that as a chance to 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 make a change. Uh, and you know, at after that point, um, from what I've read and um, some of the things that I've watched, there was a lot uh, a lot more openness for the gay community after that happened. And she really took that Stonewall incident uh, and used it as a force for change. And really, like, it just, like, built up steam after that for her. Absolutely. And New York, of course, you know, it, it it's like a flashpoint for, for uh, the community. It's a center of culture and creativity. And there is nobody else more creative than drag queens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is nobody who is louder, stronger, and more powerful than a group of drag queens, especially women of color who are not afraid. They were fearless and they they mobilized and became, you know, uh, I want to say, I guess the word icon is there, but also uh, fixtures at political movements and rallies. And sh- they were the ones. They were the ones shouting into the microphone that we want rights now, and you know that we exist. And go yeah. ahead. And one of, one of those people that was really aside from Marsha was her friend Sylvia Rivera, who who was leading a charge for change. And they together worked, you know, and they established this organization called Star, which um, was the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. That was really to help young gay and trans people in the city, you know, whether they needed to find some shelter or if they needed to find some food or the bigger thing, just to find a community of people. 
I agree. And that's, it's incredible because, you know, again, we're talking about the 1970s, we're talking about 70s and 80s New York. This is just, you know, <laughs> this is not the time to be lost on the streets. You know, this is scary times, you know, and, um, you know, and in, in the midst of this, she is still in, still doing sex work on the street and she was no stranger to confrontations with the law. We're, we're not talking about somebody who put down their, you know, their sign and left the picket and then went off to, you know, home and went to their job. This was her job. You know, this, this is what she did. Um, and you know, she moved from that to, um, and she paid the, the rent was paid by her sex work, the money she made from it to make sure these kids had, had a safe place to be because many of them were just disowned kids who weren't able to be um, home or because their families had disowned them or made them leave, or maybe they didn't feel safe anymore. And Marsha, of course, also then moved into uh, AIDS and uh, AIDS activism. Yeah, she started uh, work with the AIDS Coalition to unleash power, and that was to help combat HIV and AIDS. Uh, that was a big crisis period in the early 80s and 90s. And a lot of people today, a lot of younger um, people don't really realize how much of a big thing that was. I think even for me and you, our age group didn't really get the brunt of what that feeling was like, where you can basically, they, whole communities and periods of generations were lost um, to AIDS. Correct. We're, I mean, you, know, you and I are in our, in our 30s. So we were coming into teenagers and early 20s in the late 90s, early 2000s. So we were, we, we were around, we're around for uh, when our friends have been diagnosed and uh, that they're, they're okay. You know, if there's meds available, you know, there's still a lot of education to be done. Visibility is still not there. Representation is absolutely not there. Miseducation is at the forefront you know, of the problems. And, um, there's this really unhealthy stigma, um, as we try to undo the damage by using the words clean and unclean, which should never be used to describe somebody, you know, who's HIV positive, but Marsha and her friends and Sylvia and the people that she engaged with and interacted with. And, um, they pushed against all of this. They continued the fight to bring visibility. And this would have been, um, years before the, uh, even the cocktail mixture of p pills that would keep people at least alive, you know, as medications and uh, breakthroughs began happening in the mid late nineties. So Marsha missed all of that, which is sad because at 46, when she passed away, um, she was, and this would have been 1992. She was just a few short years from seeing uh, some of the work, you know, the beginnings of, of this and these diff the differences she did make. Um, but I don't believe she would have been, you know, she is not that she does not strike me as the type who would have wanted a statue of herself in New York, you know, yeah. like she saw, she saw people as a community that this is who we are together. And we all need to work together, which is why she was so loud. Um, and I don't say loud as in a bad thing. I mean it as, you know, we needed her to be loud. We needed a Marsha P. Johnson to get in there and, you know, make people uncomfortable, be yeah. visible. She <laughs> and she sure did it. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't going to cower down to, to those who were trying to, like, silence, silence the community. You know, she really pushed forward um, every, every opportunity that she had. And then that leads to uh, July 1992, 
It was just shortly, actually, after the Pride Parade in New York. They found her body floating um, in the Hudson River near the Christopher Street Pier. At that time, it, w- it was a really big shock for the community. Correct. And also, it was initially ruled as a suicide, and um, which people were just <laughs> absolutely not. Now, Marsha did have um, some mental health issues. And so they tried blaming it on, you know, medications or maybe she was hallucinating and walked off the pier. However, when she was recovered, they found there was a large wound on the back of her head. And it's there are statements and rumors of a guy who um, bragging that he had killed a drag queen named Marsha. But this all went largely ignored for 20 years. And so it was officially closed as a suicide, long believed to be a homicide. But in 2012, it was reopened. Um, an activist uh, named Mariah Lopez uh, was able to get the NYPD to reopen the case. However, um, it, so it was changed. Of course, there's no witnesses. Everybody's, you know, anybody, well, nobody was charged. Yeah. But her case was reconcluded. Her death was considered drowning. And the manner of her death was changed to undetermined. So that's as far as it's gotten. But the big mystery is is what happened to Marsha? You know, nobody knows what happened to her that night. Yeah, and that's one of those tough things. Uh, during that period of time, police officers in New York and, you know, were not really big on finding out what happened to individuals if they were gay or trans, you know. that right, was We see a, this now. Yeah. It, it was a really big unspoken kind of thing that I was like, oh, it's just another trans person, you know. And it was a quick ruling to be a suicide. There wasn't much investigation that, that did happen. But then going forward to now, you know, it's hard on these cold cases when there really is no hard evidence. You know, they have our autopsy and toxicology reports and, and the few eyewitness accounts that they did take down. You can go out and speak to people who knew her and uh, who are still alive, but there's not a lot of hard evidence that you can actually look look at even when trying to reopen uh, this cold case. So it really goes back to what people are saying in the community, people who did know her um, at that time. Uh, and I think one of the, the more interesting things is um, is there's tapes of her like that happened right before um, she was killed uh, around the pride period time where she is on camera saying that she doesn't think they do a good investigation on gay murders, speaking about the police saying that, Oh, it's just one more gone. And she was, she, she talked about how, you know, tomorrow is not promised for her. Well, Marsha was very aware. And I think, she made she and I. I mean, and making people uncomfortable is what makes them look. And at the time of her murder, you know, people had come forward and said they had seen a group of people harassing Marsha, but nobody really followed up on it. I mean, we see it today where you'll have, depending on what city or state you live in, the cops may have no interest. You know, with now police have body cams and. It's just, I feel like we don't go more than a day or two without seeing a story about another cop planting drugs on somebody. Yeah. And then we get the typical story. This does not reflect our community. Okay, but it does. Um, (laughs) And so imagine what would be going through 1992, 
even in New York, where we're a lot safer there walking around. I mean, yeah, there's other things that can go wrong for us in New York, but homophobia, you know, we're a little, even now we can walk more freely down. You and I could walk down, uh, you know, most of New York holding hands and, you know, if we're, if we're going to get mugged, it isn't because we're gay. It's just because it's New York and we're visiting New York. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so, there are people that have looked into uh, her murder. As you said, case was reopened uh, for NYPD, um, but then others have taken a look at it. And it's, it seems to be that it boils down to a few possibilities that most people think. One is obviously what was initially ruled, and that would be a suicide. And, and that comes about because a lot of people... First, the police did rule it as that, but then as you talk to people, there are some people that say she was giving away things, giving away some of her stuff, but then others refute that, saying, you know, that's just who she was. You know, if someone came up to her and said, oh, I love your scarf, she'd be like, oh, here's the scarf. You can have it. It's hard to read into something um, like that, but there there was one particular thing. Her roommate, Randy uh, Wicker, who is really big in the gay rights movement as well, he said that she was taken to a mental hospital um, after she trashed his apartment and kind of destroyed some things. But that's all we really have as far as like the suicide route. Just, you know, people saying this or people saying that. No concrete evidence, no letters or anything. It's just a theory because um, it was noted that she did have a, uh, a more aggressive and darker side. And they were very short moments, but when they came out, um, she would speak in a deeper voice. Uh, her male persona was more Malcolm and, um, it's more aggressive and I don't want, I'm not trying to lend credence to a suicide because I also don't believe it's a suicide, but this is just what's been put out there. And when you consider, you know, just, that's just something that was about her, but that doesn't make her suicidal and her, most of her friends did not believe she was suicidal. And, um, and that, you know, a, a lot of her friends, you know, believe it also could have been an accident. Um, the, the pier that she was found near uh, was really dilapidated. Some boards were missing or some weak boards. So there's thoughts that maybe she had fallen through uh, one of those boards. Or, you know, she was being chased and fell through um, one of the boards. And that would that would kind of bring about why there's not a lot of evidence that she was, like, attacked hard evidence that she was attacked of any sort. Well, and then there's the the hallucination. So not so much a suicide, but her medicate, like she was on a medication or something that she hallucinated and essentially walked off the pier, not realizing where she was. So it'd be more of an accidental death. And then of course the long believed that she was harassed and murdered and thrown into, uh, or, you know, harassed and either attacked and thrown in or, um, and that harassed and attacked could have occurred by multiple multiple things as well. So there, there's some people who have strong feelings uh, that it could be the police, that it could have been violent police officers who who did something, and that's why they ruled it quickly a suicide. Um, some people believe that it could be mob related because um, you mob, don't get because you make a lot of enemies when you're loud. Yeah, the mob ruled big. Uh, in New York um, during this period of time. They they ran most of the gay bars. 
uh, and they ran Stonewall, a lot of these mobs did. And so that can get you a lot of attention, especially when you are, you're speaking out. Uh, and one thing that leads credence to the mob-related thing for some people is that her roommate, again, Randy Wicker, who he started kind of going after this leadership that was in charge of like a gay street fair. Uh, you had the Pride Parade, an event that happened, but then afterwards in the area there was just like a, a street fair environment, you know, with your normal street fair booths and food set up. Randy Wicker wanted to challenge the leadership because uh, he felt that they were not using the profits from this street fair for for the community. You know, they were just using it to profit for themselves. And and this leadership, though, a lot of people believe that it was mafia-linked and that that, by being in connection with Wicker, that uh, maybe Marsha may have gotten, you know, involved unknowingly, you know, because Wicker was pushing so hard against uh, these mafia figures uh, for this leadership change. And one interesting thing that kind of leads credence to that is that there's this group called the Anti-Violence Project in New York, um, and they apparently received a threat from someone, unknown who, but that Wicker would soon end up like Johnson. Of course, this happened after Johnson had been uh, found dead. And so, you know, that just adds a, an extra kind of interesting twist twist to the thing um, that, you know, her roommate, Wicker, could end up like her. Um, whether that is mafia or someone just pulling a prank, who's to know? Correct. We have a lot of issues because as of this recording, it's been 27 years since um, Marsha was uh, found dead. So, obviously, we don't, we don't know and we don't know if there's truth to the person that was bragging that he had killed a drag queen named Marsha that we just, we just don't know. So where we are in, you know, at the, you know, again, at the time of this recording is that we know the manner of death was undetermined and has changed and the cause of death was drowning. Believe So that would mean that we don't know how she got in the river, but she was alive when she was in it, when she was thrown in or fell in. Um, and that's really what we want to bring attention to is that Marsha was a human. Marsha was a person and she has this longstanding legacy of, um, uh, you know, her AIDS activism work as well as the star house and the, the just the probably thousands of lives she touched during her time and then laying the groundwork, uh, for the next generation to step in and for us to continue in any way possible, which is why we're here. This is a new platform and this is a platform we can use to share awareness and education. Yeah. I, I think the thing that we take away from it is that we we're never going to know what happened to her exactly. You know, it's a cold case uh, with not a lot of hard evidence that can be looked at or even re-examined. you know, it's a lot of hearsay. Um, and so I think we're kind of just left with that's what we know is what we know. And we're probably not going to know or learn anything else going forward. So the best thing is, is to take away that, that lasting legacy of what, what is left behind and what changes that she has evoked. 
And I, I think she actually said this if I was reading some of the stuff that she had talked about, Marsha Johnson. And it was that the fight for social justice and civil rights has not been won. And those things that have been won, they can be taken away very quickly. So you can't rest on your laurels uh, of certain things that have changed. You have to keep pushing forward and keep fighting for that social injustice that is happening for the community. And I think one of the big takeaways with Marsha Johnson and by connection to uh, Rivera is that they were both trans women and they both like put forward a strong uh, case for the LGBT community, you know, moving them forward from the Stonewall incident. But quickly after, you know, people started being less and less afraid about being gay or being out in the community and being gay and not being scared to be seen, the community as a whole really turned on um, the trans community at that time um, because they weren't afraid anymore. But it was like these, Marsha Johnson or and Rivera, they really made a stand and they they made a change for that period of time. And I think it's important not to lose, lose sight of that fact that, yes, today, gay marriage is legal. But trans people are still suffering a lot. And there's so many trans deaths that have continued to occur. Uh, and, and as a whole, it seems the LGBT community and the gay community doesn't really like give insight or really like a long lot of strong fight for that because there are a lot of trans people that are continuing to suffer and with this administration with different things they've put forward you know and I think it's important to remember what they've done and going forward that we should all continue to fight not just for certain portions of the community but for the whole community as she did I agree with you um we see a lot of, you know, just again, at the time of this recording, there's been 18 trans deaths. Trans women have been killed this year. Um, 17 were black women, I believe, and one white woman. And there's, I mean, in, we're in September. So this isn't stopping. And there is a lot of misinformation. Again, information, education, and representation are everything. And the younger generation coming up need to, we all need to make sure we understand that we have rights now because of uh, trans POC from the past. They laid the groundwork, you know, it wasn't just one person, of course. And of course, at this point we're right, right now we're just happen to be focused on Marsha, but we need to remember we were, you and I, when you and I were born and coming out, gay marriage was not on the table. Like there, even when I came out, I think it was legalized in Iowa of all places. I think the year I graduated high school and I didn't know I was even gay yet. And I was like, okay. And, and I just kind of, I was like, yeah. you know, in my head, I was like, who would want to be married? That's a terrible idea. And I just, <laughs> you know, in my own white ignorance, not knowing. And of course, as I, then I moved to college and then I moved to a bigger city and I started to meet all kinds of people. And I was like, wow, holy crap, this is bad, you know? And I realized just how unfair the world is to various groups if you're not a straight white guy. 
Yeah, you I, know. I, I think when I was researching uh, Marsha Johnson, there was there was a video clip of uh, Rivera, uh, and she was speaking at a 73 gay rights um, rally. Um, and when she got on stage, and so this is a gay rights rally, but when she got on stage, she was like being booed. Like they did not want her on stage. They did not want to hear from her. Um, but she spoke, and I think she she kind of got some people's attention that was there. But I think that's something that kind of still continues on. Like everyone just wants to kind of be in their bubble or their group of bubble of people, um, and don't want to look outside of that. And so I, I think that rings true for people who who don't want gay rights. They live in their bubble and they don't want anything besides what they know. Um, and it is for people in the LGBT community, you know, they don't want to see anything that's outside of their particular friend groups or their the people that they personally know. Correct. You know, we see that a lot when you have one group that one group in the LGBTQ that ignores another or denies their existence. And Marsha and Sylvia were out there living it. They were showing us, they were showing the world that they exist. Every day they exist and we can make the world better for everybody. There's not reasons, you know, just because you're gay, you should have to sleep on the streets because your family thinks you're somehow less than like what, you know, when you say, I think when you say it out loud with any objectivity, it's, it almost sounds crazy that it could happen. And I've talked to people about it who have told me that doesn't happen anymore, Matt. It's 2000, you know, whatever year it was. I'm like, but are you, just because we have the tools to research doesn't mean people use them. So that's again, why Cody and I are here because we just want to bring attention and show the world that, you know, we see, we do see, and we want other people to see as well. Yeah, I, I think the the takeaway really is that we should live our lives as Marsha lived her life. Not worrying about what other people think, but also welcoming to everybody and welcoming to people who don't have homes, welcoming to people who need food. You know, being that person who just welcomes everyone, loves people, regardless of anything, um, I, I think that's the big takeaway is that more people, more of us should be like Marsha Johnson. We need to be the people that we needed when we were 18 and 20 year old, newly out of the closet and didn't know what we were doing. Because even well-meaning, supportive people, a lot of times I've, I've found, tend to try to normalize you. You know, they try to, you know, into their narrative, into their, whatever narrative they, they want you to fit. Oh, it's okay. You can just do that. Well, no, I don't want to do that. I want to be myself. And, but you don't know what that really means. You know what you're doing isn't working for you, but it's going to get you ostracized. You're going to take criticism and you're going to face harsh criticism. But when you have people like Marsha and when you live with that mentality of like, you know what, it's okay. I, it's going to work. Um, you can provide that safety and comfort and support for the people behind you. I think, it's not POC's job to educate us on something that's already there. We can go read it for ourselves. I think, you know, I just, I mean, I'm a white guy and if I can go learn about it, so can other white guys. So this is my way of saying, okay, look, we need to, this is how we're going to educate everybody. We're going to get our faces out there. We're going to get these names back out there and make sure other people see them. I know people in the um, 
trans community know who Marsha is, and I know plenty of gays and LGBT that do know so much more about her than I ever will, but this is for all the people that have never heard of it, that don't know anything about our history and don't know where to start. So this is what we're hoping (laughs) will bring attention and shine a light and make people talk about it, make history is history happened. This isn't normalizing anything. This, this was history. This was real. It happened. The facts are there. Um, you know, Marshall lived. And I hope it's been very insightful for people. If they may not have known about certain things or certain facts and that, you know, it may encourage, uh, y'all to go out and research more about Marsha Johnson, more about, um, Rivera and what they did and what they did to change things. Um, from what we see today, um, I think it's very important. Absolutely. And if I feel like if there is somebody, because we're not perfect, you know, we can look and look and look and there may be not, there may be somebody that we don't know about that. If there's somebody that I think if somebody's listening, wants us to go research and look up, send us a name. We can go look, we will do everything. We'll find everything we can on them because we want to talk about, this is not, my goal is to, I'm not saying there of course are white trans activists, et cetera. But our POC gets so little focus, they get so little attention, and they did so much work. So, again, that's, again, why I wanted to focus on, you know, people like Marsha, because being, all the things she was, is she was able to do this in the 70s after being born in the 40s, you know, it just, there's, there's a lot of strength and power there. And though I think at this point, if she was murdered, which I mean, again, I also believe that it's very likely that she was murdered. Oh, other than a deathbed confession of somebody who knows something they haven't shared with us yet, I also think we're stuck. But it won't get better, and there's no hope for it to change if we don't talk about it, if we don't keep the memory. We can acknowledge and appreciate history and try to learn from it and educate. Because the whole point of learning history is so that we don't repeat it. And I think we'll uh, leave it at that. Um, again, if you have anybody that you want us to like look into or research uh, from a cold case of sorts, just let us know. Um, and then we hope that you'll continue listening to more uh, of our podcasts as we continue to develop it and uh, learn more about um, people in the LGBT community.